Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram at Exchange Houston. The following is a message from our guest speaker. Welcome the Exchange. I am so happy for today. How many of y'all are happy that today is going to be a good day, right? A couple of y'all are happy that the rest of y'all are like, man, it's going to be a good day. Ah, I hate good days, right? No, we're all excited it's going to be a good day. Uh, I'm going to tell you the truth. The devil has been trying to get me this morning. I, I'm not going to lie, right? Everything was set, ready to go for this morning, and then I get here and complications just started rising up right before service, right? And so I just walked away and I was like, Jesus, you know what it is right? You know what it is. God's been putting a, a word in my heart all week for, uh, for you guys and for our church. And um, if, you've, if you've followed along in uh, Not a Fan, right? Y'all are going to hear some of the snippets that we talked about in the video this week about today, because there's something, um, there's something that's been going, stirring in, in the staff's heart and in our hearts about our people, right? about our people, that, that, that the exchange is to be a light into the community. The exchange is supposed to be a reaching arm of Christ into the community. And Pastor Jared talked about it last week, about how he had that desire, he had that, that drive to, to find new people, to make new friends, and to win them for Christ. All right, so uh, we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about that today, and um, you know, Right after high school, I was not the best kid around, right? I was about 19, and, uh, and so I was 19. I get invited to a birthday party, and that birthday party uh, is skydiving. We're going to go skydiving, right? And I am I'm terrified of heights. If you know me for real, I'll do something that's high up to a certain degree, and if there's any wobbling involved, I'm coming right back down, right? If there's like the wind, if I'm on top of us, like, like we were at uh, the, the Texas Memorial, right? And you're up there all the way up on top of the Texas Memorial. If you touch the, the wall, you can actually feel the wind hit the wall. I, okay, maybe not. I can feel the wind hit the wall, Right? I, oh, I got you. Yeah. I was about to say, I can feel it. I can feel it. And so whenever I, as soon as I, I'm fine. I'll be fine. And then I'll touch the wall. And when I touch the wall, I'm like, this thing's falling down. You know, it's been up for how long? Like a couple hundred years, right? But I'm thinking we're going to die today, right? We are all going to die. I'm, I'm a little overweight. I'm, I hit the max. I'm, I'm making this thing fall over after hundreds of years, Right? I'm the guy that's like, he's like the pin on the, the camel, right? Um, <laughs> so, so I'm terrified of heights, and I go to this birthday party, and well, event, and, uh, and I'm, I'm a little scared, but I'm a little excited, right? But you see, there's this girl, right? There's this girl, and most of my terrible stories start with, but there's a girl, Right? So, and it wasn't Lindsay, right? Maybe that was the problem, right, right there. 
Uh, it was somebody else, right? We hadn't met yet. So my life was terrible until I met Lindsay because she's awesome. Oh, Anyway, uh, so, uh, so this, pay, this trip is totally paid for, right? They pay for our, our skydiving. They even pay for the extra class for us to, at the advanced class, where they sit for hours, about two and a half to three hours, and they tell you every way that you can die jumping out of this plane. And they tell you how to get out of it. They tell you how to, how to escape. And so I paid very close attention to those parts, right? I was like, oh, God, I can die like that? I didn't even know that was possible. You know, but then I found out, and I found out, okay, do this, you do this to get out, and they quiz you on it, right? So after every scenario, they say, hey, okay, do the, you know, what if this happens? What do you do? And you're like, cut away, you know, or, or pull the chute, or cry, you know? Like, that, that was my response every time. In my head, I was like, cry? Uh, hope, hope I have a heart attack before I hit the ground? Um, but so after every scenario, I'm like, to also trying to figure out how I can get out of this situation without looking like a complete pansy, all right? How can I do this? Because I still like this girl, right? I still want her to think I'm cool after this. So how can I, like, can I break a leg on the way to the plane or something? Because I'm, I'm terrified of heights. So uh, I come up with this idea, right? We get through all the training. They strap us in, they put us in the jumpsuits, they strap us into the chute that they taught me how to pack myself. Tell me how, how good I felt after that, right? You mean you're not packing my chute for me? Okay, so I packed it, packed it super well, right? I, followed, I redid stuff several times just to make sure it was folding right, right? So I get this chute on and I'm walking, and I'm walking towards, I'm on the tarmac, I guess is what you call it. And I'm walking towards the airplane, and I get this idea. Let everybody else get on first. If I let everybody get on first, then I get out last. And whenever I get out last, I can just have a meltdown after everybody jumps out of the plane, and no one would know because everybody's on the ground, and I'm upstairs crying, begging, pleading these people just to take me down and say something was wrong with my chute. Like, I was trying to think, what can I say? Can I bribe them? I don't have any money, but can I bribe them, you know? Like, favor, like, punch, like, I can take somebody out for them, you know, to get me out of this situation. And so I'm thinking that, I'm thinking that, and then, so I, I just slowly, like, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of the pack, and I slowly just do the slow walk, you know? Like, you're walking, you're walking normal, and then all of a sudden you just do this for a second, and then everybody gets heavy, and then you start, you pick back up with them. That's what I did, and uh, so we get on, we, we get on the plane, they get on the plane, and I'm like, all right, all right, I did this, right, and so I step up on, on the plane, and I look inside, and I realize that everybody's looking at me, like in a line, there's a bench in the middle of the plane, and they're all facing the door where I walked in, and I walk in, and I'm like, and something clicks in my head. You know the verse that says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last? That's the verse that popped up into my head. And in that moment, I went, touche, Jesus. Touche. <laughs> so I realized that, you know. All of us face this moment in our life where we have to make a decision, right? We have to make a decision to commit to what we're doing or to bail out, right? Or to, to just walk away from it. And... Uh, and usually whenever we commit to something, it's despite the
the consequences that come with it. You know, whether it's a good decision or a bad decision, you know, that as a kid and as an adult sometimes when me and Lindsay get into an argument, there are things that pop up into my head that I say, you know, I shouldn't say this. I'd say that to myself right before I say it, or I don't say it. But most of the time I don't say it. There's a small 49% of the time that I do say it. And, and I, I say to myself, you know, don't say this. You should not say this. And then I just go, well, your mother, you know, like, bad idea. Okay? I committed to it. Despite the, I knew there was going to be consequences. I knew that this is probably adding on to the, the argument days. Like, not just a couple more minutes or hours. This is probably going to last a couple more days now. But I commit to it. I jump into it. And we all have, have uh, things that we come and we face this. Everybody stand up really quick. I know you just got comfortable. But um, we're going to read a verse. We're going to read John 3, 13 through 17. And y'all may remember me uh, saying some of these verses uh, before uh, in, a, in a previous message. And we are going to read that. Or not. Let me, there we go. Uh, it says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Okay, let's, uh, let's take a second and pray. Father God, I thank you for everything that you do for us during the week. I pray that you speak through me in this message, Lord. I pray that you remind me of all the things that you're telling me this week, Lord. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Um, Y'all remember uh, back... Uh, when I preached this the last time, this section of verses, that uh, the verses right before, um, right before John 3.16, right, is, is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do on the cross, right? So no one can see into heaven, no one can talk about heaven except the person that was from heaven, right? And that person, son of man, Jesus Christ, needed to be lifted up on the cross, just like the snake was done with Moses, right? And, um, and I talked about that, but the next couple of verses are probably the most read, the most memorized verses in the Bible, right? John 3.16. If we would have read these scriptures together, my money would have been that when we hit John 3.16, it would have got the loudest in that moment, right? Even, even whenever we were reading, like, I... I, for some reason, was caught off guard that we were going into John 3.16 while we were reading. But because we were waiting for the slide to switch, my brain just kicked in automatically instinct, right? And for God so loved the world. Boom. Done. I got that part. You know, it's, it's inbred in us. And uh, today we're going to be looking not at those verses. We're not going to be looking at necessarily what Jesus said in those verses. But we're going to look at the person who Jesus was talking to. And we're going to look at a couple of stories. We're going to look at four different stories today. And we're going to be like the movie Crash, right? We're going to look at all these stories. And we're going to look how they, they meet. And we're going to look at where, 
where they collide. And uh, spoiler alert, it has to do with Jesus, okay? Um, the, first, uh, the first one is right there in John 3, right? We talk about a guy named Nicodemus. And I brought up my handy-dandy whiteboard, or actually Pastor Eddie did. And so I'm gonna, I had so much fun last time I did this that we're going to do it again. All right, so we're going to talk about a guy named Nicodemus. That looked weird. Okay, we're going to talk about Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, right, everything that we need to know about Nicodemus is in the first two verses. Right? He says uh, in John 3, 1 and 2, right, John 3, 1 and 2, says, it says this about um, Nicodemus. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miracles, signs you are doing if God were not with him. Okay, so we find out three things about Nicodemus right there in the first two verses. We find out the first thing is that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. I had a hyphen just for that space. Okay? So he was a Pharisee, right? The second thing that we find out is that he came to Jesus, came to Jesus at night. Okay? The third thing that we find out about Jesus is that he believed that, we're going to say J.C., Jesus, was from G-O-D, right? Believe that, he believed that Jesus Christ was from God. And that's why, he said, that's why he said, you know, because you've done all these miraculous things, we know that you come from God, right? And something, out of those three, we're going to talk about one thing really quick. We're going to talk about why Nicodemus came at night, right? Because... I actually already told you the answer to that question when we wrote it on the board. The reason why it was nighttime when he showed up was because Nicodemus was a Pharisee, right? Pharisee in the, in the Gospels are made out kind of as the bad guys. And uh, the Pharisees were actually a saving um, sector in uh, Jerusalem. The Pharisees were able to, when the Roman rule came in, and started wiping out the way that, uh, the, way that the Jews celebrated, uh, you know, Judaism, the Pharisees were stuck, wait, they were all about the law. And so they had a good term in, in Jerusalem and in Israel that they were able to hold on to the core values of what Judaism was. They were able to hold on to those rules. The problem with the Pharisees is that they started adding on to rules. Okay, so we have the Pharisees, and they don't like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is coming in, and if, if you heard me last time I spoke, the king, he started preaching kingdom mindset. The kingdom is, is completely upside down and completely backwards from the way the world is, right? The first shall be last, the last shall be first, right? If you want to, if you want to uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. If you want to be elevated, then you need to serve, right? All these things that are upside down. You know, love your neighbor. 
as yourself. Love your enemy, right? Sit at the table of your enemy. It, this stuff is all backwards to them. So first thing he, didn't, he came at night was because he was a Pharisee. The second reason why he came at night was because he believed that Jesus was from God, which was, okay, you can meet with Jesus. That's fine. There's a lot of moments in the Bible where people meet with Jesus that are Pharisees, but the fact that he believed that Jesus was from God was a whole nother ball game. All right? The, uh, the, other, the other story that we're going to talk about is found in Mark uh, 10, 17 through 22. And this story is about a guy, and I won't read it because um, it's pretty lengthy. Um, but we're just talking about a guy, uh, and the Bible only tells us that his, his title is the rich young ruler. So we're going to put the R-Y-B, right? The rich young buck, right? He, uh, he is a guy that comes up to Jesus and he um, bows before Jesus. He gets to Jesus and he bows before him and he says, he says God, you know, he says, Jesus, uh, Rabbi, what can I do to get into heaven? And Jesus gives him an answer. He says, well, uh, you know, don't lie, don't kill, don't steal, you know, put God first and honor your parents. And the rich young ruler goes, yeah, 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 yeah. See, I've been doing that since I was a kid, right? I've been doing all that stuff. But what, what is it? Like, what can I do to make sure I'm in heaven? So we find out three things about the rich young ruler in those verses, right? We find out that he respected Jesus, Right, so one, respected, respect, put some respect on it, respected JC, right? The second thing that we find out about him is that he grew up in church, right? He, church, I'm going to put that, Jared, that was a good one, church bread, right? Oh, church brat, okay, so... The third thing that we find out is that he came to Jesus a good man, right? This isn't some thief. This isn't some murderer coming to him. This is a guy that has followed the rules, that has never done anybody wrong, that has probably given to charity, that has probably invested time into people, that has made sure that everything in his life is good. So he is a good man, right? That's what we find out about him. The, the third story that we're going to talk about is, uh, we're going to put W at W, right? Because we're running out of room, right? We're going to talk about a lady, uh, a woman, and all we understand about her, we don't never get a name, but she is the woman at the well, right? And we can find her story in John 4, 4 through 9. And what that story is, Jesus is walking and he has to cross through Samaria to get to another spot. He gets tired. He goes to a well called Jacob's Well, which Jacob in the Old Testament is the one that built that. So he goes to Jacob's Well, and he's sitting there. He's tired. He sends his disciples off to go get food and stuff, and he's just chilling there. Well, as he's sitting there, a woman walks up to get herself some water. And this is evening. This is about 6 o'clock. And Jesus is tired, and he looks over at her, and he says, Hey, do you mind uh, getting me some water? And uh, she's shocked by this. For one, Jesus is a Jew, 
Second thing is that uh, Jesus is a man, right? And back then, men didn't really address women very much. I, I don't really know the rules behind that, but she's shocked that Jesus, especially a Jew, is talking to her a woman. And she says, you know, why are you talking to me, bro? And uh, he's like, well, I'm thirsty. Can you give me some water? And she's like, why would you ask me water? And he said, well, if I gave you my water, if I, if I were to give you water, you would never thirst again. So he says to her. So we find some things out about her in the first part of that story. And one is that she's a Samaritan, right? Samaritans were, were treated as worse than dogs, okay? They weren't even treated as dogs. They were worse than dogs, okay? So if you've ever been in another country that doesn't like dogs or in an area of the United States that doesn't like dogs, uh, we were in Haiti, and when we would see a dog, uh, the, the missionaries had a dog there, and they said that they had to keep their dog in a certain area in the mission, and it's because the people of Haiti are, are mean towards dogs. They're scared of dogs, and so they'll throw rocks at dogs. They'll, they'll abuse dogs. Well, think about that and put a person there, right? You know, we could get political and say that, you know, our world, our country's not too far removed from that. But back then, this was a whole nation of people, a whole group of people who, and she highlights later in the story, that can't even worship in the church, in the tabernacle in Jerusalem because they're Samaritan. They have to go worship on a mountain far removed from the temple where they're told to worship, right? They have to do that. So we find out that she's a Samaritan. The second thing that we find out is that she doesn't know who Jesus is. She does not know. I'm just going to put JC. Doesn't know Jesus, right? The third thing that we find out, and we find that out later on, is that uh, she gets around, right? She gets around. We find, Jesus calls her on, on her stuff. He says, you know, uh, why don't you go get your husband, and uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk more. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You have five husbands, and the guy that you're with isn't even your husband, right? So we find out that she gets around, okay? Five exes, one boyfriend. Boy toy, okay? So we find that out. The, ne- the last story that we're going to talk about is a group of lepers, right? All we know about them is that they're 10 lepers. There's 10 of them, right? So we're going to put 10 LPs, okay? 10 lepers, okay? And these guys, they come up to Jesus, and he's preaching, and he's teaching out, out in the crowds, and they come up to Jesus and, and they start, they stay at a distance, right? They stay far away because leprosy back then, um, it, it's kind of unclear what necessarily leprosy was categorized back then because they kind of used it as a general term. Um, but leprosy was some form of skin disease, uh, flesh-eating disease that was very contagious where uh, even if somebody was in the same room as you and they had leprosy, you had the chance of getting it, okay? So, um, so these people, they would walk around, and it would eat at their skin. It would eat at their flesh. Uh, a modern version of leprosy still exists, and they've done studies on it, and I can't remember the name of the book, 
but one of my friends, Michael Marquez, read it, and he used to tell me about it. And he said that the researchers found that this form of leprosy that's current today is a removal of, of the feeling of touch. Right? So they can't feel anything. And so when they have a piece of them looking like flesh is eating off of them, it's because it's infected and they had no idea that they were cut to begin with until it was too late. And so they have body parts fall off because it's so badly infected and they never knew that they were cut because they can't feel it. They can't feel that pain. And so, uh, you know, whether there was a flesh eating disease or it was this disease, I don't want either one, right? And so you have 10 guys that have this. And back then, they would have to walk around and they'd have to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. And, and they, walk. they did that a lot for different things. But they walk around, unclean, unclean. And they actually had leper colonies. If you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur, Ben-Hur, uh, one of the characters is in a leper colony. And he goes and he finds her and uh, she's healed or they, they're healed. Anyway, they get out. Um, but they're, they're, they had these colonies, leper colonies, right? And so we find out three things about these guys, right? We find out, one, they have leprosy, hence their name. They got leprosy. Um, the second thing that we find out is that they cry out to God. And they cry out to Jesus. They say, son of David, have mercy on me. The third thing that we find about, out about them is that they stayed at a distance. Stayed at a distance. Now, there's a reason why we're going through all this stuff, right? All of us have something that gets, gets us to that moment of commitment. Mine was a girl, right? And uh, so here I am. I'm walking onto the plane, and I turn around, and all these people are staring at me at this point, right? So I have a split second, right? I can either, either go, nope, and walk out, right? I can do that and lose the chance of dating this girl, which I never dated. Should have done that. Um, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Uh, or I could uh, turn around and sit down. And so I chose to turn around and sit down. Right? I was in a panic mode at this point. Uh, I turned around and sat down. And uh, so I'm sitting there. Uh, I'm stuck. I, I'm, I'm stuck in this plane. I'm the first one out. If I melt down everybody's going to know. There's no, there's no option. There's no way to go around me, right? I was slimmer back then, but there's still no way to go around me. It was a small plane, right? And so I'm stuck. I'm sitting here trying, to, trying not to show that I'm a terrible wimp that's shaking, right? And every second that I'm sitting there, it just seems like an hour. But it's a weird, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but it's weird, like, time continuum thing where you feel like every second is an hour, but you know that you have very little time to decide, right? And so, you, so you're just like in a rush the whole time, but your brain's moving 90 miles an hour. And I'm sitting there, and uh, I'm hoping that I just have a heart attack right then. I just hope that I just, it's over, and I'm going to see Jesus right then. At the time, I wasn't sure if I was going to go see Jesus, so I was like on the border like, oh, should I, should I have a heart attack or should I try to hold on? Um, I was saying, I was asking Jesus to forgive all my sins. I asked him for, to forgive me for getting onto the plane to begin with. I was asking him for everything, right? 
And I sat there, and as I sat there, I looked up, and there's this sign, probably about from me to my laptop right there, and it says, shut up and jump. And I just sit there the whole time. I've read that thing probably 200 times. Just sat there saying, shut up and jump, shut up and jump. And I can feel my heart, like, moving up into my throat. And uh, my, the, the instructor, he's, he's sitting right next to me, and he, uh, he gets the go for, for us to jump out. And he walks up, and he opens up the door. And all of a sudden, wind just fills the whole cabin. And my heart just like, oh, no. You know, and it's whipping around me. And I'm sitting there, and uh, he climbs out. Man, I don't know if you've ever seen a video or anything like this. I know Jared has jumped a couple of times. When they climb out, there's handles on the side of the plane. And then they actually climb out on the side of the plane. And then, they, and then he's like. My reaction in my head was, no, what are you doing, man? <laughs> like, you're crazy. But I, I sat there, and he, he's going like this, and I have this lump in my throat, like I can't breathe. I'm like, <gasps> and so I just swallow, and I know I have to decide this, right? These four stories have those moments in them, right? These four stories have, have this played out, right? Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus has a conversation with Jesus about needing to be born again and living in truth. Jesus' last words to Nicodemus are recorded in John 3. I'll go, I'll go over that right now. John 3, 18 through 21. And it says this. Whoever believes in him, he's talking about himself here. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Okay, so that, that statement alone is kind of rocking to, to Nicodemus because Nicodemus was what? He was a teacher of the law. He, Pharisees had the first five books of the Bible memorized. And, and so he's telling them right here, you can't get, you're already condemned unless you believe in the Son of God. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We'll touch back on that. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done, he has done through God. Okay? So we find out uh, something about Nicodemus. When we look at these guys, we find different things about them, right? Before we move on too far. We find out that Nicodemus came to Jesus curious. He was curious about God. He was curious on why he, God was choosing him. Okay? The rich young buck, right? The rich young ruler. He came to Jesus. Let me see. Let me get my wording right. How I had that. He came to Jesus for security. For security about what, what was going to happen to him. The woman at the well... She didn't, she didn't come to Jesus, but Jesus came to her, right? He encountered her. And the reason why he can't encountered her, because of her need for acceptance. Acceptance. You want to know how I know that? Five X is one boy toy. 
She needed acceptance in her life. She needed to know that she was more than just a Samaritan woman. And she needed to know that from somebody else. So he came to encounter her for her acceptance. And the last thing, these guys, 10 lepers, they came out of a need. They came to him out of a need. That's why they were crying out. Right? So Jesus calls the Nicodemus out of that passage, and he calls Nicodemus to do something that Nicodemus is not immediately ready to do. He calls him to believe openly. To believe openly about him. Now, what would that do to Nicodemus? That has a potential to make him lose his position, make, it, make him lose his whole life, what he's worked for, to believe openly. The rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus with a checklist, right? He's gotten everything done. He, he's, he's checked it all off. And in Mark 10, 21, I love this verse. I love this verse because of what it says at the very beginning. Uh, we're going to be reading out the message version. It says, Jesus looked him hard in the eye, and loved him. So Jesus is about to say something to rock his world. But Jesus is looking him in the eye, and he's, and he's saying, I love you, man. And in his being, he loves this person. And he goes on, he says this. There's one thing left. There's one thing you didn't check off. He says, go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth. And come, and come follow me. Ooh, man, that would mean that his first name wouldn't exist anymore. He would just be Young Buck. He wouldn't be the rich Young Buck. He would just be Young Buck. So he calls him to give everything and follow. To give everything and follow. The woman at the well, Jesus replies to him, let me see here. Jesus replies to him and uh, replies to her and says, if you only knew the source of life that I have, you would never thirst again. You would never seek that acceptance again if you only knew. And so he calls her to rely on him. Rely on him. Okay. The ten lepers, right? They go to Jesus, and of course, they have leprosy, right? So what's the thing that they're looking for to get from Jesus? They're looking to get healing from Jesus. And so they, they go to him, and he says something to them. He says, you guys, before he heals them, he says, you need to go show yourself to the priest. Now, this is, this is kind of weird, in their situation, we don't think it's weird. But back then it was weird because you showed yourself to the priest after you were healed. Okay? It's because the priest had to confirm that you were clean. Okay? They had to check you. They had to make sure you're clean. Then they said a blessing over you and you went on your way. And you had to do that in order to be accepted into the society again. So they come to Jesus. They're calling from far away and they're saying, Lord, have mercy on me. And he says, he looks at them and he it says that he looks hard at him. He's probably looking at all of them in the face and saying, I love you guys. And he says, go show yourself to the priest. So he asks them, not for their disease, 
He doesn't ask them for their leprosy. He asks them for their faith. He asks them to step out in faith. Step out in faith. Okay? So, I'm going to very quickly go through all these. They're all called to Christ in different ways. They came to Christ for different reasons, but they are all asked to do one thing, and that is complete commitment to him and what he says. You see, there are a lot of us Christians that because of the freedom we have, and Pastor Jared kind of touched on this last week, because of the freedom that we have here in America, we have... uh, we think that by coming to church every so often and listening to Christian music once in a while is having a relationship with Christ. And I'll tell you what, if you were in China and you saw some of those guys, that would rock your complete vision of what your relationship with Christ is, right? But you see, there are a lot of us, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because I'm, I'm preaching it to me. This whole week, God was working on me on this stuff, right? We see a lot of us Christians that because of the freedom we have uh, by coming in, we think that uh, our relationship is good. And Nicodemus is proof that that's not true. Nicodemus was in church all the time. Nicodemus ran church, and he had no relationship with Christ. In fact, he had so much, so less of a relationship that when he saw Jesus, he knew he was from God, but he didn't know he was God. Right? Others, others of us think because we give money to the church or, home, or to the homeless on the side of the road, don't cuss, read our Bibles, pray our food, slap our Jesus fish bumper sticker on our car, that, do, that by doing everything that the Bible tells us a good Christian does, that our relationship is determined by that. But somebody else proved that wrong, right? The rich young ruler proved that wrong. Then there are others of us that we believe in Christ and we worship him, but we look for acceptance, confidence, security, and our pleasures in everything else. We look for everything else, right? The woman at the well, right? And last, but definitely the most common reason why people come to Christ are those of us that when our world is falling apart and the bank account is low with the mortgage due, right? We cry out. We hit our knees and we cry out to God. God, save us. God, send, send a check in the mail. Send something. Do something for me. But then things get gravy, right? Things get good. And uh, we forget all about what he did for us whenever our world was falling apart, right? In Hebrews 12, the author starts to talk about uh, that we are in a race. And this race is called life. And it tells, us, it tells us what we, we should do in that case. And he, it's in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Okay, cool. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, so something I spoke about in another message, right? I gave you all a definition of sin, all right? What was that definition of sin? I'm just going to pop quiz you all in a second. What was that definition? All right, I didn't expect you guys to get it. Um, The definition I gave you was that at its base sense, sin is selfishness. Everything that you see as a sin in the Bible can be boiled down to selfishness, right? And so if we reread that verse, right where it got to the part where it talked about uh, casting off the sin that so easily entangles, and we subbed that out, cast off that selfishness that so easily entangles, right? We all, what are these guys called to do? They're called to believe openly. They're called to give everything and follow. They're called to rely on him. They're called to step out in faith. I put set out in faith. Did anybody else notice that? I did. All right, step out in faith. All right? And so all these things take what? They take an act of selflessness to do. Right? Because I don't know about you, but I have hard times sometimes relying on him. When the bills are due. When, when all of our bills come out in one week. Right? All of our bills came out this week. It was, it was stressful whenever I found that out. But we're called to rely on him. When, when, when we're told, when we have friends and coworkers that openly hate God, we are called to believe openly about him. You see, forgiveness is free. But discipleship, it costs a lot. It costs a lot. God will forgive you of your sins. He already did. He did it on the cross. It's a finished work. It's done with. But Jesus didn't come down just to do that. He came not to condemn this world, but to save this world. And the thing is, is that sometimes we think that we have to be saved from the devil. We think that we have to be saved from the sin that Eve did and Adam did way back when that we have to be saved from, from those things. But the biggest enemy of you is you. We have to be saved from ourselves. More so than outside things. All right? I heard somebody say, the, the person who lies to you most is yourself. I believe that because I feel like I'm smaller. Um, <laughs> Jesus came down to make disciples, and we are called to be those disciples. But we can't help someone from our couch. What I mean by that is we can't help somebody when we're completely comfortable with where we're at. You know, I, I, I heard a business guy, I was looking for a video for today before I found a kid president. And uh, I saw one, and I was looking up commitment and stuff, and it was this uh, small business uh, consultant, and he was saying, you know, the thing that will, that defines uh, a business that, a startup business that succeeds and a startup business that fails is that one gets comfortable with what they make and the other one doesn't. Man, if we want our church to blow up, let's just, let's just talk on a real note for the exchange, right? 
If we want our church to blow up, that means that you have to be uncomfortable with the way things are. Right? And then you have, if you are uncomfortable with the way things are, you have to fix why you're uncomfortable with them. Right? If you're uncomfortable with coming into church and, and feeling like you're the only ones because uh, it's the way that our church shows up, then show up early and invite friends. If you want to pack this place out, if you want uh, our church to be a thriving, moving uh, entity in our community, then we have to start by us getting out into the community, by you getting out into the community, by me getting out into the community. And please understand that every time I say you, I mean us, right? Us. We have to do that. I have to do that. You know, we, uh, we want our church to blow up. As a staff, we pray for our church. We pray that, that the community will, will be called to Christ, that, that we, would, we would be lights into our community. But if all we do is come into church and be entertained and come into church and perform uh, on a weekly basis, then um, we're not doing our jobs. Because the definition of a disciple is a disciple who makes disciples. A follower who calls the others to follow. I'm going to ask Eddie and the band to come back up. So let's take a look really quick before we, we finish. Let's take a look at uh, what, what these guys did, right? You know, these, these guys, they're carrying weights, all of them. Pharisee, right, Nicodemus, he's carrying the weight of his position. The rich young ruler is carrying the weight of his possessions. The woman is carrying the weight of her rejecting her rejection. And the leper is carrying the weight of his disease, of their disease. And there's a excerpt. We do CrossFit on Wednesday nights, if you didn't know that. Um, and there was this exercise that Carlos made us do the last time that I was in town and did it with him. And he made us do, like, several crunches and uh, with a plate, and then we had to run down to another spot, and we had to do some squats with a plate. The squats and the crunches weren't the hard part about this exercise. The hard part about this exercise is that we had to run from point A to point B with the plate, right? With the, the 45 pounds or 35 pounds, whatever it was, we had to run with that. And I don't know if you've ever tried running with a weight in your hand. Uh, probably you moms know what I'm talking about, right? You have like a baby, you're like, ah, ah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But when you're running with a weight, everything you're doing is harder. Everything you're doing is, is it, your breath, I don't know what it is, but it's like this run is 10 feet, right? Or it was longer than that, but th- th- let's just imagine, this run is 10 feet. I can do this easy, but as soon as you put a plate on, it's only a couple more pounds. All of a sudden, your breath is like, <gasps> like first step, like you're like, all right, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Oh God, help me, you know? It's awful, right? It's awful. Some of us have weights just like this, and instead of giving it to God and letting God take it, we're running with it. And we're saying, God, why is this hard? Why is this so hard? 
I'm out of breath. I can't breathe. This hurts. You know, and like, like a president, kid, kid president said, man, this hurts. Man, I don't want to go down that, that road. Man, this is awful. But the thing is, is that we're holding on to the weight that we need to let go. And sometimes, you know, all the time, when you go to let go of those weights, because you don't realize that it's a hindrance, it hurts. And it's painful. So we're going to look at how these guys reacted really quick. Nicodemus, he's left with that, that statement. It doesn't tell us what happens to Nicodemus in John 3. In John 7, it does. It talks about how the Sanhedrin met and they were going to address this Jesus problem that they were having. And they were meeting and they were talking about it. They were saying, what were we going to do? And Nicodemus is sitting there and he has to make a decision. Do I believe openly and stand up for Jesus? Or do I just fade in the background? And it says in John 7, it says that Nicodemus stands up and he says, what's the problem with him helping people? What's the problem with that? Is this not of a God? And to his, their reply back to him was, are you from Galilee? And what that was, that was a diss, right? If I would have said that back then, right, in that situation, all of y'all would have been, oh, snap, right? Oh, snap. He took it to Galilee. What? Okay? Jesus was from Galilee, right? And so that's what they were saying to him. What are you? Were you from Galilee? Were you his bro? Were you hanging out with him? And it was a diss to him. But Nicodemus stand, stood firm, and it says that later, after Jesus had, been, had died, Nicodemus is the person who brought the oils and the fragrances to put on his body. Nicodemus did. And you can't hide that. The man just died. So Nicodemus, he committed. The RYB right? The rich young ruler. We only know him by that name because of what he, how he reacted to Jesus. Jesus said, take all your stuff, sell it, give that money to the poor, and come follow me. The next verse doesn't even say a reply. It says the next verse that the rich young ruler walked away with his head down. Not in shame, but in disappointment. He was disappointed in what he got from Jesus because he wanted Jesus to tell him an easy way to heaven. He wanted Jesus to tell him that he was good. You've done everything, right? He came to him with the checklist, already checked off. Rich young ruler, he bailed. He was more worried about his security than he was worried about God. The woman at the well, she's talking to Jesus and, and, and he tells her all that stuff about her and he says, if you only knew the life that I have for you. And it says that she drops her, her 
whatever, her bucket. I don't know what she had. Her vase, okay? She, she drops that and she goes into town. And she tells everybody in town that, she need, that they need to go check out this Jesus guy out there who's telling people's business, right? Who guessed my business without even knowing me. And so the, the, the city comes out and he and, and meets Jesus. The disciples aren't even there yet, right? The disciples aren't even around. They're not back yet. And the crowd comes and the disciples are like, what's going on? I'm going to follow these guys. You know, and they find out that they're coming to Jesus. And it says in the Bible that many of those townspeople, many of those vill- that village got saved that day and accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah that's a big deal because he was still alive. And they accepted that Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the Christ and was the Messiah, right? So she, not only did she commit, but her commitment led to so many people choosing their own commitments, making their own decisions that day. People that would never have been reached because they were Samaritans people that the Jews wouldn't have even told about the Messiah, even if he was there. In fact, they would have thought that the Messiah would have put them down. The last group, right? The ten lepers. They came to Jesus out of need. And Jesus sends them away. And he says, go show yourself uh, to the priest. And so they do. They walk away, right? And as they're walking home, all of a sudden, I don't know if they were like missing a leg or anything, like all of a sudden, a leg popped out, right? <laughs> what? Right? But it says that they were healed. They didn't have leprosy anymore. Right? They were completely clean. They were completely healed. And what do those guys do, right? Do they go, oh, man. You know? No, they're like, yes. Yes, I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. And I bet that all of them wanted to run home immediately show their families who they probably hadn't seen in years because they had leprosy. All of them wanted to do that. And so they did. Except for one guy. One guy didn't do that. One guy saw that he was healed, celebrated with the other ones, and then turned around. And he walked right back up to Jesus. And he no longer had any distance in between them. He no longer had that He walked right up to him and he said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Jesus looks at him and says, weren't there 10 of you? Where's the other nine? He says, I I heal you all from leprosy and only you come back. He looks at him and he says, man, go, go back to your family. Go celebrate with your family. It was your faith that healed you. The faith healed all of them. But only one committed. Only one did. You know, I look at these stories, and I can't help but think, in Jesus' last day, right? We got... A whole crowd of Israelites in Jerusalem. And Jesus is on trial and he's in front of he's with Pilate. 
And the Pharisees are down below and they're, they're accusing him of all this stuff. They're, they're calling out for his crucifixion. And there's a crowd there of Jews just filling up the place. And they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Crucify, he's not my God, crucify him. And I think about that day and I look at these stories and you know what I see? I see a man that was out of the crowd. See a man that wouldn't have been in that crowd if you'd have paid him 10 times anything. He wasn't going to be in that crowd. Why? Because he knew Jesus. He knew who he was. I can only imagine that the rich ring ruler was right there in the crowd. Yeah, kill him. Kill him. Yeah, he's a false prophet. What are you talking about? I'm a good man. I'm a good man. You can tell me I can't get into heaven? I'm a good man. Man, kill this fool. He's out there in the crowd yelling. can only imagine that if she was let in, right? She's a Samaritan. If she was let in, she wouldn't be in the crowd. She would be in the, the crowd outside of the crowd with the pickets saying, free Jesus, you know what I mean, with the rest of her village. She'd be out there picketing them. She wasn't in the crowd. Now look at the ten lepers. And man, you know what sucks when I look at the ten lepers? Is that I know that nine of them could have been in that crowd. Nine of them. They came to Christ with a need. He met that need. And they're still in the crowd. Only one committed. Man, I don't want that to be us. I don't want that to be the exchange. I don't want that to be a Tascacita. I don't want that. I don't want to have people who are being blessed by God, who are being forgiven by God, who are being loved by God, turning from them because they don't know God. They don't know His goodness. I asked the band to to play a song for us before we dismiss. I know I've gone a little bit over what I should have. But as we sing this song, I'd like like you guys, and y'all can go ahead and stand. Um, I would like you guys to do something. We're not going to have an official altar call. We're not going to do that. If you need prayer, I'm going to be up here in the front and I will pray with you. And and any of our other staff, you know, Shelly's up here in the front, she'll pray with you. Brian, he's one of our board members, he'll pray with you. If you need prayer, we will pray for you. But what I want us to do in this song, and you can sing along, but first I want you to examine your own life. I want you to try to find out the things that you yourself are holding on to. That Christ is saying, man, I'm just wanting a commitment. Man, I just, I want that. I want that thing. Doesn't mean that I'm going to take it from you forever, but I just want you to give me that for right now. I want you to give that up to me. It can be anything. It can be 
you know, my dad, he tells a story uh, about when he was in college. He had a, a, a moment with God. He was praying, and uh, God asked him a question. He's a musician. He's, he's always been a musician. I've always known him as a musician. And he's always written songs. And while they're uh, southern gospel songs, I am supportive of my dad. And, uh, and I listened to him. But in college, he had this moment where God asked him. <sighs> he asked him to give him his uh, musical abilities. And God said, I already did give that. I, my dad said, I already gave you that, God. I already, I already do that. I sing for you all the time. I write worship songs for you all the time. And uh, God said, no, I want you to give it to me without expecting it back. And my dad said, he gave, he, he said, right then and there, he said, okay, God, I give you my musical abilities. He said, very oddly, he didn't play music for about two years. And it wasn't, it's was just like he would pick up a guitar and he'd go to play and he would just not have the desire anymore to play. He'd set it down. And he still thought that was odd. And he could remember that he gave his talents to God. And I think, I think it's two years later. Two years later, he just started getting this burning desire to play music again. And he picked up the guitar and it was like he had been practicing those two years. Uh, since he didn't miss a lick, he he's picked it up and it was it was great to him. It was f- far better than what he was doing. Now, there's things in our life that we might not think is a big deal. There might be things in our life that we don't think has any hold over our relationship with God. But those might be the things that we're holding on to even though we're good people, even though we're, we, we follow God's laws, maybe those are the things that God's saying, give that to me. Give me your kids. Ooh. Whoa, whoa, God. Give me your kids. Maybe that's what God's telling you. Give me your job. Give me your finances. Give me your health. Give me your marriage. Give me your hurt. Give me your happiness. Give that to me. I'm not telling you that God's going to take it away for two years. That's not what I'm saying. You're going to be like sad for two years if you give him his joy. You know, oh God, why did I give you my joy? That's not what I said. But maybe, maybe you. Maybe you need to find your pleasures in Him. Is what I'm trying to say. Maybe you need to find your acceptance in Him. Maybe you need to find your security in Him. Maybe you need to find your security of the people around you in Him. And rely on Him. So we're going to sing this song and we're going to worship for a moment. And as we worship, I want you guys to just start praying. Right? Start praying. Talk to God. Say, God, what is it that you are asking me to give to you? What is it that I need to trust you in? What is it that I need to give up in order to be completely committed to you, God? And sing it. 
Sing it from the depths of your heart. Sing, sing what that is. Sing your praise to God. And when I say sing, I don't just mean just focus on the words. What I mean is to let the music that's playing in your heart come out. Let, let the feelings that are in your heart come out. Because that's what he wants. That's what he wants. He could care less what you're doing on the outside. He cares what's happening on the inside of you. Because what's on the inside is going to eventually come out. So he wants that. So let's sing. Thank you for listening to the Exchange Church Podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for The Exchange Church Houston. If you would like to give to The Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online.